everybody. Welcome back to Chapel Under the Oaks. It is May 30th, 2021, and we're so glad that you're here. We are building today on our celebration of Pentecost last week as we began to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our key scripture for today is Romans 8, 14 where we read Paul's words from the New American Standard Bible. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. Now, our full scripture reading today includes some passages from the Gospel of John, and those are from John 14, 15 through 17, and then 25 and 26, and then John 16, 8 through 13. And I'm going to be reading those from the Living Bible translation. And then we'll move into the fifth chapter of Ephesians, verses 15 through 20. Those I'm going to be reading from the NIV, the New International Version. So I invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible app and follow along. First, from the Gospel of John. Jesus' words to his disciples in chapters 14 and 16. If you love me, obey me, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, and he will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him, for it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you do, for he lives with you now and someday shall be in you. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Comforter instead of me, and by the Comforter I mean the Holy Spirit, he will teach you much, as well as remind you of everything I myself have told you. And when he has come, he will convince the world of its sin and of the availability of God's goodness and of deliverance from judgment. The world's sin is unbelief in me. There is righteousness available because I go to the Father and you shall see me no more. There is deliverance from judgment because the prince of this world has already been judged. Oh, there's... So much more I want to tell you, but you can't understand it now. When the Holy Spirit, who is truth, comes, he shall guide you into all truth. For he will not be presenting his own ideas, but will be passing on to you what he has heard. And now, Paul's words to the church at Ephesus from chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, 
Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Almighty God, my Heavenly Father, make me an instrument of your salvation for these precious people that you've entrusted to my care this day through this podcast, that by my life and teaching, I may set forth your true and living word. All these things we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, here's a question to get us started today. So have you ever run out of gas? I mean, if you're listening out there, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but just I'm pretty sure most of us have. Some maybe not, but I have. I I know I've I've done it at least once. That was uh, back in June of 2000, so about 21 years ago. And it was not too far from here, not too far from where we live here in Georgetown, just north of Austin. It was in broad daylight, thankfully. Um, And I was actually driving up from Austin to the small town of Florence that's just north of Georgetown. Now, last week, I told you that Keith and I first moved down to this area, to central Texas, uh, from Dallas, which is where we had both grown up and raised our family. We moved down in 2001, and that is true for both of us. But I actually moved down uh, the year before, in the year 2000, because I found a job first. We were both still working, so we both needed jobs, and those don't always come along at the same time. But I found one, so I came on down. Keith stayed back in Dallas that year to get our youngest son graduated from high school, and to sell our house. Now, this job that I had found was as the superintendent of schools of Florence Independent School District, that little town I was driving to. And when I ran out of gas, I had actually not even begun work yet. And on that particular day, I had been down to Austin to see our two children that were in school at the University of Texas. Now, my head was full of all sorts of things, all of our conversations. We had uh, the new job, and I was also in a new vehicle. Yes, I'm, I'm making excuses now for running out of gas. I was in a new vehicle. I didn't check the gauges. I didn't have the steering wheel set where I could even see the little blinking light when it started telling me that I was low on gas. So anyway, bottom line, I'm out of gas on Highway 195, which is this small road that went between Austin and Florence. And I'm actually just past the local honky tonk that's known as Rattlesnake Inn. Yeah, makes you want to go there, doesn't it? Anyway, I only know a handful of people in the area, basically my new employers, the school board of Florence ISD and the maintenance director for the district. So I had to figure out what to do. I considered walking back to Rattlesnake Inn for help, but honestly, that looked a little dicey even in the middle of the afternoon. And I didn't really want to call the school board president. I kind of thought running out of gas might be grounds for dismissal on the basis of stupidity alone before I ever even started work. So I called the maintenance director and he cheerfully brought me some gas and then he promised not to tell anyone what had happened. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was an empty promise. 
in more ways than one. But I did come away with a new understanding that day. In this world, empty is not a good thing. I mean, just think of all the idioms that focus on emptiness and none of them are positive. The glass half empty, seeing the world as a pessimist. Running on empty, worn out, used up, empty headed, kind of like I was that day. Ditzy, naive, not smart, coming away empty-handed, not successful, failing at your task. Empty suit, positional power without personal integrity to back it up. And of course, the title of this message today, Empty Promises. Commitment that the promiser cannot possibly keep or may have no intention of even trying to keep. That's the world's version of empty. But as usual, the Jesus version, God's version, is quite the opposite. Our affirmation of faith today at Chapel Under the Oaks was from Philippians 2. And there we learned that when Jesus came down to earth, he first emptied himself of his glory, of who he really was, to become like us so that he could save us on the cross. All the promises we have from God through Jesus are possible because of this. They are possible because of his willingness to empty himself. Now, last Sunday on Pentecost, we talked about what it means to be a spirit-filled and spirit-led disciple of Christ what Jesus called being born again, to be someone who puts their faith above everything, who is even willing to die for their faith, to be that kind of Christian. And we said that being filled with the Spirit, being born again into new life, is something different than just receiving the gift of the Spirit at baptism. Being filled with and led by the Spirit requires that we claim the promises the Spirit brings. But how do we do that? Well, like most things, it helps to begin at the beginning. So we learned in Philippians that Jesus' incarnation began before he was born in Bethlehem, even before he became a tiny life inside Mary's womb. The beginning of the salvation story of our faith is actually the moment that Jesus renounced his glory and emptied himself of his total godness so he could come to earth and be one of us. He was willing to let go of being God and become completely dependent on God and the Holy Spirit to be with him, to lead him, to guide him through his mission of salvation and redemption here on earth. And it's no different for us. Before we can take on our mission as Christ followers, our job of being witnesses in the world, of living out the greatest commandment of loving God above everything else, loving our neighbors like Jesus loves them, before we can do any of that, we have to empty ourselves 
of being the God, with a little g, of our own lives, of being in control, of making all the decisions, of taking pride in who we are, what we know, what we've done, what we've amassed during our brief stay here on this planet, to take the focus of our world off of us. We have to empty ourselves if we want to claim the promises that await. And what are those promises? Well, we said last week that the Holy Spirit enlightens us, engages us, and empowers us. Today, we're talking about how the Spirit enlightens us. I see the Holy Spirit's enlightening work in three broad areas, and you'll be happy to know that I have named each of them with a word that begins with W, so you can remember them. You can thank me later. The three areas are wrongdoing, wisdom, and will. I'll say them again. Wrongdoing, wisdom, will. Let's go to the scriptures to learn more about each one. First, wrongdoing, or we know it better by another word, don't we? Sin, separation from God, rejection of God, putting ourselves and our pride before God. We read from the Gospel of John these words of Jesus about this particular work of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit has come, he will convince the world of its sin and of the availability of God's goodness, and of deliverance from judgment. The world's sin is unbelief in me. There is righteousness available because I go to the Father and you shall see me no more. There is deliverance from judgment because the prince of this world has already been judged. Okay, so that, that's a bit of a mouthful, but it's really pretty simple. Jesus says three things. And then he explains those three things. It really fits perfectly with what we talked about on Ascension Sunday. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit tells the world, and that includes each of us, you and me, these three things. One, first of all, we're sinners. We sin, we have a sinful nature, we can't fix it by ourselves, no matter how determined and dedicated we may be. And the root of this sin problem, the the underlying way that we are wrong about everything is that we don't believe completely in Jesus, in God, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But don't worry, all is not lost. The second thing Jesus says is that there is hope and good news, and it's called the gospel. And it's only because of Jesus, because Jesus completed his saving work on earth and is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us. And finally, the third thing, more good news. The evil one, the prince of this world, the prince of darkness, is not going to win no matter what it looks like down here, because Satan's ultimate threat, his way of controlling humans, 
His ace in the hole is death. If he can make us fear death, then he wins. But what happened on the cross? Jesus defeated death once and for all. We have no need of fearing death. Okay, so so that's a great theological argument. But you're probably asking yourself, how does this enlightening of me about my sin, my wrongdoing, what does that look like in my everyday life as a Christian? I mean, is it my conscience? Or is it that niggling feeling that I've messed up somehow? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Well, perhaps the Holy Spirit works in whatever way will get your attention. And he has worked through all of those things with me in the past. But lately, I've learned that there's a better way. And this better way actually begins with me. I take the initiative rather than waiting to be nudged or niggled. And it's simply prayer. I ask the Holy Spirit to reveal my sins to me. And sometimes I need help finding the right words. And so I often turn to David's words in Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. If you're like me, I lived for years thinking I had it all together. And then when I finally emptied myself and asked the Holy Spirit to fill me, I knew I had to ask first for God to reveal my sins to me. (laughs) And man, the Holy Spirit started working overtime. Fortunately, not all at once. The Spirit knows how much we can handle. But over years, over time, I saw scenes from my life, words spoken, things done, things left undone, in a whole new light, in God's light. And this was completely the work of the Holy Spirit, enlightening me about my sin my wrongdoing. So this is the first of the ways that the Holy Spirit enlightens us about our wrongdoing. And it's necessary, painful, but necessary, so that we can then claim the second promise, the second way we're enlightened, with wisdom. Wisdom comes to us the same way we learn of our sin. By emptying ourselves, letting go of our little God status in our minds, and by praying for the Spirit to teach us about God. 
For honestly, that is the only wisdom that really matters. Again, our scriptures for today point that out. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit who leads into all truth and the Spirit who is truth. And he says that the Holy Spirit will teach you much as well as remind you of everything I myself have already told you. He shall guide you into all truth. This truth What is Jesus talking about? Well, a better question would be, who is Jesus talking about? Who did Jesus say is truth? Well, himself, of course. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit enlightens us with wisdom, with the truth, in two ways. First, the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus. Once we are convicted by the Spirit about our wrongdoing, our sin, then the Spirit leads us to the good news, the amazing grace of Jesus. You know, even Billy Graham, who through his evangelistic crusades over the years brought literally millions of people to Jesus, even Billy acknowledged that He was just the messenger. He just said the words. The Holy Spirit took it from there. The Holy Spirit does the work of conversion within each of us when we are open to it. Once we have accepted Jesus as our personal Savior, not just the Savior of the world, worthy of our worship, but the one who saved me. Then, if we seek the truth, the Spirit will teach us about Jesus. He will lead us through the scriptures, explaining them to us. Now, we all know the Bible can be difficult to understand. Many, many books have been written on this topic alone. And just praying for help and then suddenly understanding, suddenly having all the insights you never had before, Well, that sounds a bit hard to believe, a bit supernatural. Hmm, that's because it is. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But if you have your doubts, hear this from someone who knows firsthand. If you pray to God, asking the Holy Spirit to help you understand what you are reading, to get the real message of each book, each story, each verse in the Bible, God will answer that prayer. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's one of his favorite prayers to answer. I know, because he did it for me. And if he would do it for me, he will do it for you. So the second way the Holy Spirit enlightens us is by giving us wisdom, revealing truth. And by truth, we mean Jesus. And the story of Jesus is in the Bible, the Word of God. And finally, by that truth, by that wisdom, 
we can be led to discover the third way the Spirit enlightens us, by teaching us to discern God's will for our lives. In our second scripture passage today, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and encouraging them to lead spirit-filled lives. Exactly what we are talking about today. Now, this actually should be really, really good news. I mean, it's good to know, isn't it, that we're not struggling with something that is unique to us or unique to this age. It's been around since the beginning of the church. And because of that, we have the scriptures to help us. Wisdom, if we seek it. So here in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. There's that wisdom the Holy Spirit is waiting to give us if we only ask. But Paul adds more. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What does he mean by this? What kind of opportunities is he talking about? Educational opportunities, career opportunities, financial opportunities, socializing opportunities, travel opportunities? Mm, I don't think so. Eugene Peterson's message translation helps clarify. There we read, don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work the barren pursuits of darkness. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things that they must do in the darkness where no one else will see. Now, I have to say this because I know that not all of you listening, but some of you listening are of a certain age, and I'm of that certain age as well, um, those golden senior years, where honestly, we don't do a lot under the cover of darkness, do we? I mean, we kind of don't do a lot of stuff after the sun goes down. It's it's hard to get into too much trouble when you're all tucked in for the night by about 8 o'clock. But this isn't the only kind of darkness that Paul's speaking of. He's talking about the darkness of evil, of addiction, of violence, of hatred. In other words, spend your time not on worldly things, And not even just on good things, but on God things. How do we know what these God things are? Because we do know that the devil is really, really talented at disguising evil as good. Paul tells us in the next verse, Therefore, Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Well, there it is, isn't it? Paul has called each of us to the one thing we probably struggle with more than anything else as true disciples of Jesus. Figuring out what God's will is for our lives. And honestly, that's a whole sermon series. But for now, just know that we cannot possibly know God's will for our lives without the help, the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, I used to think that seeking God's will 
was basically just deciding what I wanted to do. I'd make a little pro and con chart and try to make the best decision that seemed like it was going to be the right one, the good one, the best one. And then I'd ask God if he wanted to get on board. That's not it. I was missing the most important part, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide me. Paul tells us in the next verse, do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, you always have a choice with what you fill yourself, your time, your life, the world or the Spirit. If you choose the Holy Spirit, be ready for what that means. He will open your eyes to your wrongdoing, your sinful nature. The Spirit will teach you wisdom, the truth of Jesus in the Bible. And the Spirit will lead and guide you to discern God's will for your life. And take it from me, that will change everything. But if if you really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to have a place for the Spirit to fill. You have to be empty if you want to claim the Spirit's promises. And you will have to empty yourself over and over. We have a rain gauge out on our patio. Now, Keith loves to check it after a rainfall. And we've been having a lot of that lately, so that's pretty exciting. And he loves to call me and report triumphantly to me exactly how much rain we got. Now, I don't know that I know that my listeners are from all over the world, so that probably sounds strange to you. If you live somewhere like Seattle or London, where the rain is a constant compassion. But here, on the edge of the desert in the middle of Texas, an inch or two of rain is something to be celebrated. So we celebrate it. But then, after Keith shows me the gauge and reports his findings, he pours out the water that's in the little glass vial and replaces the vial in his holder. And then he waits for it to be filled once again. That's how it is with the Holy Spirit. We aren't filled just once. We don't empty ourselves just once and be done with it. We do it over and over, rejoicing each time as the Spirit sweeps over us, as the Spirit enlightens, engages, and empowers us. Because each time we are truly filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not something you can just keep inside. It overflows. We are filled so that we may be poured out for the kingdom. Just like Keith's rain gauge. Because if he did not pour it out each time it filled up, well, it couldn't be filled up again. Reused over and over. And being used, being born again into a spirit-filled life begins with being empty. Not empty like the world sees it, a careless error that leaves you stranded on the side of the road. No, empty on purpose, like Jesus, 
as he left his glory in heaven to, to come to earth for us. So this has been a lot today. Here's what it all comes down to. After setting an example for us, Jesus calls us to empty ourselves so that we can follow him. We can serve him. We can claim the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we pray to be reminded of our sin, our wrongdoing. We pray for wisdom and we pray to know God's will for our lives. And by then, we are so filled with the Holy Spirit that we can pour ourselves out for others in ministry, in service, in love. And at that point, well, then we're empty again. Empty and ready, like the rain gauge, to be filled once more. To claim the amazing, life-changing, empty promises of the Holy Spirit. Amen.